was talking about it. After ten years or more, Naomi has returned. And we get a sense of it that it's particularly the women of the city who are doing the talking. Why? Well, because Naomi, of course, is a woman, and uh, it was the women who would have most noted her absence and most been amazed and surprised when she came back. And also, this is not a sexist remark, women like to chat about people, don't they? You know, that's just the way it often goes. I've often said this, but I, I, when I was about in my teaching career, after five years, I went from being solely in the classroom to moving into an office full of about four or five women. And they were chattering about people a lot. I noticed that. It's just an observation. And it was the same back then. Naomi becomes the talk of the town. They're talking about her. And what are they saying? Is this Naomi? Or maybe, can this be Naomi? In what sense are they saying that? Is it a comment of shock at her appearance? Can this be Naomi? Look at her. Age and affliction and distress have aged her prematurely. Is this old lady the Naomi that we once knew? Is it that? Or is it, secondly, a spread of astonishment and surprise and amazement? Is this Naomi? Have you heard Naomi is back? You know, the one who was married to Elimelech with the two boys. Can this be Naomi? Really? Or is it, maybe, thirdly, a sense of genuine joy and delight to see her again? Naomi! We thought we'd never see you again. And you're back and it's marvellous and it's glorious and we're so thrilled. And I, I, we don't know for sure, do we? But I suspect it was probably a combination of the latter two. That there was a sense of joy and delight and surprise that Naomi is back. Is it really you, Naomi? That may be true, that may not be true. But we can be sure of this. It was not a day of celebration and happiness for Naomi herself. The second name we have is the name Mara. What does she say? Verse 20. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Why the change of name? We need to appreciate that in the Bible, in God's word, names matter greatly. Names mean something. Names have great importance. Names are not just tags or labels. Names say something about the inner character of the person who is named. Or they say something about the, uh, the life destiny of that person who is named. When God himself 
changes names of people, he does so for some great life-changing reason about that person's whole orientation and purpose and identity that he has for them. So Abram, exalted father, which sounds a wonderful name, becomes Abraham, father of many nations, father of a multitude. Jacob, the one who grasps, the one who deceives, becomes Israel, exalted prince of God. Even Saul of Tarsus, heard by God, heard of God. Interesting change of names that he adopts, or he begins to use the name of Paul. Little, small, the lowest, the chief of sinners. Maybe that's the reason, for I am nothing, but God is everything, and Christ is everything to me. These name changes matter greatly. And here is a name change that Naomi herself insists upon. I'm not Naomi. Don't call me that name anymore. Why not, Naomi? Because of what it means. What does Naomi mean? It means pleasant. It means lovely. It means sweet. But that's not the way I am now, says Naomi. Oh, no. What an inappropriate name for me. What a mockery of a name for me. Don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara. Bitter. Like the bitter waters that the people of Israel tasted when they came out of Egypt. The very same word, Mara. Bitter. My life has become bitter. It's a mockery for me to be hearing my name addressed as Naomi any longer. Now, Naomi, why are you so bitter? Well, she tells us, doesn't she? I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. It was a famine when I left ten years ago or more, but when I left Bethlehem all those years ago, I was full. I was satisfied. I was rich. I was fulfilled. I had what every woman in Israel wants. What did you have, Naomi? Well, I left Bethlehem ten years ago as a married woman, the wife of Elimelech. I had a husband who was honoured and respected in this town. I had two sons, maybe two teenage boys they were at the time. And I had promise and hope and optimism and a future. I was a full rejoicing Naomi in those days. But now I come back to this familiar place and everything I see and smell and hear and touch reminds me. It's like a dagger that's stabbed into me and twisted such is the pain. I'm so empty now. It's all fallen. It's all gone. I was once rich and now I'm poor. This is the city gate where my husband Elimelech would sit with the other men of the city. Respected by them. Sharing in their wise judgments, perhaps. But he'll never sit here again. He used to sit in that space on that bench and that's taken now by somebody else and I will never see my husband there again. 
See those streets down there? We used to walk there in the evening, arm in arm, Elimelech and I. The streets are the same, but I'll never walk down those streets, arm in arm with my husband. Never again. See that alleyway there on the right? Down there, two streets on the left, is the house where we used to live. But I can't bear to go there today and visit that house. Oh, I was full when I lived here, but now I'm empty. The memories would be too painful for me. You see the town square about 200 yards in that direction? That's the square where Marlon and Chilion used to play. Used to run around as children. That's where Marlon fell over and he scraped his knee and he was in tears and I had to pick him up and look after him. That's where Kilion got into a bit of a scrap with the other boys in the neighbourhood and he was cross but we patched it up and everything was fine. And that's where we had wonderful times as a family. And I can see young men now who were friends of my boys when they were, when they were just little kids but now, now they're young adults and they've got wives and children of their own and my boys never had that. I went away full, and now I'm returning as an empty and bitter widow. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me sweet, pleasant, happy. No. The Lord has testified against me, she says. Notice what she says. This is her her theology. This is her understanding of God. The Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Is she right? Is she right? Has all this disaster and sorrow come upon Naomi because the Lord has done it? And back in verse 13, we read something very similar that she says to Orpah and to Ruth. As she's about to leave Orpah, at least, she says, My daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me, bitter for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And we have to say, Naomi, yes, thus far you are right. She rightly believes in a sovereign God. Would it be a comfort to say to Naomi or any grieving widow who's lost husband and sons, well, of course, uh, this wasn't meant to happen. God didn't mean it to happen. God is powerless to intervene in these events. This is just rotten luck. This is just a chance event. And uh, God is wringing his hands in dismay that this happened. He can't do anything about it. Would that be comfort? No, it would not be comfort. Naomi rightly believes in a sovereign God. And we saw this last week. We read those words of Deuteronomy. that The Lord is the God who forms light and darkness. He is the God who kills and the God who makes alive. He is the God who wounds and he is the God who also heals, isn't he? And Naomi uses a word here in verse 21 that is a word that underlines his sovereign power. She speaks of God, you notice in verse 22, verse 21, as the almighty The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And some of you may know that the word for Almighty in the Hebrew is the word Shaddai. El Shaddai. God Almighty. 
It's a name of God we see often in the book of Genesis, especially when God is announcing to Abraham or to Jacob some great gracious purpose he's about to bring on them. El Shaddai, God Almighty, is the one who appears to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. He is the God who later appears to Jacob at a low point in Jacob's life and his family are going in all sorts of directions. I am Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. I am still the Almighty God who is with you. The Almighty One, the Omnipotent One, the All-Powerful God. And Naomi is saying, yes, this God, the God who does and can do everything in this whole universe, the one who chose my forefathers Abraham and my foremother Sarah and my ancestors and blessed them and gave them this land and was so rich and so generous to them is the same Shaddai, the same Almighty who has now brought me into this calamitous condition. And that's why I am no longer Naomi. I'm Mara. That's me. That's my life. It's bitter. It's all thorns. It's all empty. It's all cold. It's all dark. It's all death. It's all sorrow. It's all pain. My name is Mara. And that would be true of her and every single member of the human race, would it not? Apart from the fact that there is more to the story that we and Naomi need to see, don't we? There's a third name we need to notice. It's the name of Ruth. Look at these verses and notice how Ruth is mentioned and how Ruth is not mentioned. She's mentioned without her name being raised in verse 19. The two of them went along until they came to Bethlehem. And then the narrator, the storyteller in verse 22, quite deliberately mentions Ruth the Moabites in his closing verse of this first chapter. But notice this. The women of the town, they don't mention Ruth. But far more importantly, Naomi does not mention Ruth. The fact that Ruth is by her side is completely overlooked. She might as well be utterly invisible. She disregards her. I and only I am here. I and only I am here alone and empty and bitter and desolate. Naomi, who is this lady who's with you, by the way? Naomi, aren't you omitting something? Aren't you forgetting someone? Has it really all been nothing but bitterness and barrenness and emptiness? For you in the last few weeks and months of your life. Who is this daughter-in-law who is with you? 
We know from later on in this book that she's, Ruth has already shown Naomi great love and care and loyalty and kindness. But Naomi, are you not going to even acknowledge in your words to your old friends in Bethlehem that a few days ago, maybe, or a few weeks ago, this young woman, who is your daughter-in-law, said something to you that should have given the greatest hope and joy and expectation and comfort to your bitter, empty life. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Despite what you've said, I'm clinging to you and to your God because your God clings to his people. I know that. It's the kind of God he is. Naomi, it's as if that's never registered with you at this point in your life. Now let me apply this to everyone here, to you and to me. When we as the Lord's people pass through times of hardship, we may well say, It's been bitter for us. We should say so if it has been. Are we not encouraged when we look at the book of Psalms that we see David in particular pouring out his complaint before the Lord? Look at Psalm 142 as an example. Look at Psalm 52. Look at Psalm 57. Look at so many Psalms. The Lord's people are encouraged to come to the Lord and say, Lord, my burden is great. Lord, my sorrow is overwhelming. Lord, my sense of isolation and desolation is profound. Lord, my sense of not knowing where I can see any light at all in anything is is utterly taking me over. But that is only ever a partial picture if we are the Lord's people. There is in Naomi this great danger of nothing but self-pity. I am Mara. My life is bitterness. My life is only thorns. My life is pain. My life is hardship. My life is suffering. That's me. That's my name, because that's who I am. That's where I am. And that's where I can't imagine ever being anywhere else. I am Mara. Poor me. Why me? Why this? Why then? Why now? It hurts. I feel nothing but hurt. You don't know how hard it is for me. My life is bitter. Nothing but bitter. That's Naomi. And she can't see. She can't remember. It didn't register. That those words of her Moabite daughter-in-law, on the back of everything Naomi had just said about, go back, go back, there's nothing I can do for you. I can't have sons for you. I can't give you any sons. I can't give you any hope. I can't give you any promise. Yes, I am empty. She was empty earlier on. She's emptier now. But Ruth says, you may say you're empty. You may say you're bitter. But I am looking to your God, who is a God of hope, who is a God of life, who is a God of encouragement, who is a God 
of faithful, loving kindness. Because we're going back. We're going back to Bethlehem. And that's my fourth and final name. Is the name not of a person, but of a town. Bethlehem. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Chapter divisions in the Bible were not there in the original text. The Lord himself did not say to whoever wrote Ruth, I want you to put a great big number two uh, after the word barley harvest. Nevertheless, chapter divisions are often quite significant. And can you see the two bookends of chapter one with me? Can you see the echoes and the resonances in the first verse and in the very last part of the last verse of chapter one? First verse, Bethlehem, famine. Last verse, Bethlehem, barley harvest. You see that? It begins in Bethlehem with a famine. And we saw three weeks ago that downward spiral into ground zero, as we called it, didn't we? We saw the, we saw the disorder and the destitution and the, uh, and the departure and the disobedience and then the death and the distress. And then we saw the deliverance. And we've been seeing it now. And the graph begins by going down, but now the graph is going right up. You see, this mention of the barley harvest is doing more than signaling what the next chapter is going to be about. It's underlining one of the great themes of this book of Ruth, which is filling, fullness, food, Satisfaction, harvest, rejoicing. As we go through this book of Ruth, look with me carefully. Look out for these themes and these motifs of, of bread, of food, of filling, of being satisfied. It's no accident that Naomi has just said, I'm empty. I went away full and now I'm empty. But where are you now, Naomi? She's come to Bethlehem. Does that matter at all? Yes, it does. Bethlehem. Names of towns mean things, as well as names of people. Anyone here know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. House of bread. Beit Lechem is the Hebrew. House of bread. Naomi, as you've come back with Ruth to this house of bread, as you've heard that the Lord has visited his people by giving them food once more, as you have arrived through the fields around Bethlehem and seen that the farmers are already going out to inspect the fields that are ripe with barley for harvesting, is there no hope in your heart? Is there no expectation in your mind? Naomi, Naomi, do you have any idea how much the Lord is going to fill you and satisfy you in the days and weeks and months and years ahead? 
Do you have any idea, any expectation, any prayer, any hope, any sense of, I may be empty, I may be bitter, my life may be hard, but there is a God, my God, that Ruth, my daughter-in-law, is clinging to. What might he do for me now in my bitterness? It's most significant that this name Mara appears in Ruth chapter 1 verse 20 and it never appears again in the book of Ruth. Why not? Because the Lord is saying, Naomi, you changed your name, but I never changed it. You think your life is now defined by bitterness and emptiness. But to me, you're still Naomi and always will be Naomi. When you were named Naomi all those years ago, did you know? No, you didn't. How that name might be fulfilled. But pleasant and sweet and joyful would come to be your defining, fulfilling destiny in your long life. I'm not going to let you call yourself Mara or anybody else. I'm not calling you Mara, he says. No, no, your name is Naomi and it always will be. That's your choice, Naomi. If you want to call yourself Mara, that's your choice. It's not mine, says the Lord. You're Naomi to me. Because I'm going to fill you to the point of overflowing with satisfaction and joy. And that's what the Lord does to his people. Are you Mara this morning? And you're sitting there and you're thinking, no one, no one knows what my sorrow is like. No one knows what my pain is like. No one knows how long it's been going on. No one knows how uniquely lonely it is to be me. No one understands. And and I'll always be like this. This is basically my life written off now for what it is. I'm a, I'm a bitter, lonely, unhappy person. That's me. That's my story. It won't change. It can't change. Where have you come this morning? We're finishing this service this morning with a communion service. And on that table, you can see the bread. Here it is. Grove Chapel today, we might call it Bethlehem Chapel. That would be good, wouldn't it? Those of you from Wales, plenty of Bethlehem chapels over there, aren't there? Capel Bethlehem. Why not? All right. A house of bread. A house of food. A house of filling. A house of sustenance. A house of satisfaction. A house of joy and praise, a house of Naomi, a house of sweetness, a house of pleasantness, a house of bitterness, of of fullness, not bitterness. Why do I say these things? There's not much bread here, is there? I mean, if we broke this bread up and gave everybody a piece, would it be enough food for us to have for lunch? (laughs) Well, we know what the Lord did once, don't we, with five loaves and two fishes, and he filled everybody. Isn't that a wonderful picture as well? But it's what this bread points to, isn't it, that matters. Do this, says Jesus, 
in remembrance of me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Psalm 107 we started with this morning. He satisfies the long soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. What are these good things he fills your soul with? He fills your soul with Jesus Christ. You feed on Jesus Christ and your souls live. It's not the bread itself that we need to eat. It's that eating of the soul. It's that sense of saying, Thou, O Christ, art all I want. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Jesus himself said, Come. Whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Fulfilling Isaiah 55, Come, come and buy without money and without price. Come and and." And fill and fill your souls with God himself and with Jesus Christ. He fulfills, he fills the weary soul. He turns the bitter widow into a joyful mother of children. It says so in his word. Come to Bethlehem. Come to the house of bread. I very nearly thought this morning we would have at this point as our hymn, O come all ye faithful. Joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. I thought, oh, that will get people scratching their heads, won't it? Well, why ever not? We haven't got it, have we? But we might another time. Come to Bethlehem. What happened in the fields of Bethlehem? A barley harvest happened. Life is growing. Sustenance is there. Bread is there. The famine's over. Hungry people are going to eat. Yes? What else happened in the fields around Bethlehem? Centuries later, oh, more agricultural people were there, shepherds watching over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared and brought glad tidings of great joy that would be for all the people. For to you in David's town, in Boaz's town, in Ruth's town, in Naomi's town, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. He is the bread of life. You come to him and you say, Lord, my life has been bitter. Yes, it has. If you are without Christ, if you live without Christ and you die without Christ, your life and your death will be bitter, bitter, empty. And Mara will be your name. But if you come to Bethlehem and you take and you taste and you eat and you feed on the one who said, my body is real food and my blood is real drink. What does he mean by that? He means that we have substantial real life, eternal life, only when our souls feed on Jesus. Let's pray together.